ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to my employer, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It is December 9th. Atlanta United season is done, but your questions aren't. So I want to thank you for sending a whole bunch of questions in for this edition of the podcast mailbag. We got a lot of good topics to go over, uh, including the futures of Jurgen Dom, Franco Escobar, MLS expansion, and the team's need for a playmaker. So we're going to get right into your questions. Again, I want to thank everyone for sending them in. They really made the podcast a lot of fun to do, or more fun. I should say it was already fun. Um, so here we go from Jason. Uh, I sent you a tweet complimenting the podcast, asking you to keep it up, and you replied, email me. I had to log into the AJC on my laptop to figure it out. <laughs> I do subscribe to the AJC, mainly for your coverage of Atlanta United. Well, thank you, Jason. I was able to ask a question before, which you saved to the end of your podcast. So with this, I'm hoping to someday make friend of the podcast status. And then he puts in a parenthetical coffee sip. So I'm going to take a coffee sip. And Jason, you are now a friend of the podcast. Could you address some of the issues surrounding Diego Almeida, the sexual assault allegation and the, quote, slant-eyed tweet from his team? Uh, soccer down here, Jason Longshore, who does a fantastic job, had a really good take on all of it, and I'm not sure how many crossover listeners you have, probably a lot. I'm listing this because I saw a post on Reddit from a, a supporters group sort of questioning why the team would bring a player with these uh, character flaws, I need to say alleged character flaws, uh, to the team. I thought it was a little harsh and prejudicial. At least wait until all the facts are in and understand the history behind clubs and traditions. I'm not trying to justify actions, but listening and understanding go a long way. I agree with that, Jason. Coffee sip. So here's the deal. Uh, about a year ago, this was probably 53 weeks ago, uh, Tiago Almada and some of his teammates uh, were – this is from reporting in Argentina – having a party, uh, a holiday party or a season party. And a young girl uh, later reported that she had been sexually uh, taken advantage of. I don't know if it was a, a rape or something like that. Um, she reported it to police. The players were isolated from the team. Apparently, we've now found out that some charges were filed. Uh, DNA samples have been taken from the gentleman and the results of those DNA samples are supposed to be known, I think, around January 15th, I believe the date is. So that's the kind of background on that. This has been really, really weird because when the news first broke about Almeida's involvement in this alleged 
incident, um, there was there was hardly any reporting done other than he had been separated from the team. And then a week later, he returned to the team. And then I kept looking periodically to find out if there were any updates and you couldn't find any online. Uh, and then suddenly, um, two weeks ago or last week, uh, a paper in Argentina posted a, a fairly long catch-up of the incident in which they reported the, that he'd been cr- charged. Uh, his lawyer says that the woman is making all this up and that she's changed her story uh, numerous times um, and about the DNA tests. And that was shared with us uh, by Gustavo, who's a Atlanta United supporter and who's very active on the Twitters. So I want to thank Gustavo for that. Now, the the I hate this phrase, but it's accurate. The slant-eyed tweet. That was a photo of Almeida, you know, putting his fingers on the sides of his eyes and pulling them to make himself have smaller eyes or more narrow eyes. Apparently, that is a celebration done by uh, players for Valise uh, in honor of some win in an intercontinental tournament many, many years ago. Um, does it make it uh, right? No. Does it make it uh, less sensitive? No. Um, hopefully the club is going to evolve and get past all that, but I don't think that that was Almeida uh, intentionally doing something to provoke um, people who who have um, you know that that kind of eye structure. It's still not great. Neither of these things are great, to be honest with you. I have many reservations about the Almeida uh, possible signing. Um, so, it, it, you know, the club Valise last week on Friday at like 6 o'clock or 5.30 or something tweeted out that it had reached an agreement with MLS and Atlanta United that Almeida was going to come February 2022 for $16 million. I immediately reached out to the club. The club put out a statement that said, nope, we have not agreed to acquire the player. We have agreed basically to acquire his rights. Should we decide to transfer him, uh, Atlanta United would be the team that he has to come to. He couldn't go anywhere else in the world. That That's kind of summarizing what they said. Coffee sip. Now, personally, what I think is going on is the club is waiting to see this DNA test to see how this plays out in the Argentine courts, Argentinian courts, I should say, to find out if they're even going to have a player to bring in. I, I don't know the player at all. I don't know his character. I know nothing about him other than what I've read. But I, I would think that's what Atlanta United, why they put out that tweet and why they're waiting and why it says February before he would come because the transfer window opens in January. And I think Atlanta United is going to open training camp at some point in January. Either way, it would be smart of the club to go ahead and bring him in, get him acclimated, find him a residence, get him a phone, get him a car, teach him how to get around Atlanta, all that, rather than waiting until February. So I think, just think, that is what is happening with Almeida and Atlanta United. Now, the player himself, he's obviously very talented, 20-something goals, 10-something assists, and less than 100 appearances for Valise. He's been a pro since he was a young teenager. He's only 20 now. I think he could be a fantastic player. Uh, in addition to the reservations about the the uh, you know alleged crime, the goal celebration, and all the interviews, he keeps saying he wants to go to Europe. He has never expressed any interest in coming to Major League Soccer or Atlanta United. It's almost like he's resigned to doing it. Even when Barco and Pitti were coming, 
they expressed excitement about Atlanta United and Major League Soccer. We then later learned about pity that he really didn't have much of a choice. The club was kind of forcing him to do it. Um, but the the lack of excitement, the the lack of of energy, um, the, the, this crime, alleged crime hanging over his head, all this adds up to me that this could end up either being a fantastic signing or just being horrible, horrible signing and a horrible expenditure of money. Um, and we won't know for a while. Um, Jason asked a second question. I read your article on MLS Next Pro. That is the league that Major League Soccer is starting. It's basically going to replace the USL Championship as a bridge between clubs' academies and the first team to try to help players get prepared to become professionals in a what they say is a competitive league. It is going to have some sort of broadcast arrangement to it. Don Garber told me, I asked him specifically on the State of the League uh, address on Tuesday, if the games are going to be broadcast, he said, if you're a parent and you have a kid playing in this league, I'm confident you're going to be able to watch them play through some platform. So other insights I have about this. Um, I was curious if the roster sizes are going to be the same as in the USL championship. And there was some reporting yesterday. I can't remember the reporter and I apologize for that, who said that uh, they are going to have that. Um, the level of competition is going to be interesting because I think it is going to be a mix of younger players and older players, which is kind of how the USL championship is trending right now. But will it be as good? Because you want, in my opinion, you want your younger players going against grown men to show them this is what it takes physically. This is what it takes, you know, mentally, emotionally with aggressiveness and things like that. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, will we need to loan out players to Birmingham and Charleston? No, I do not think that is ever going to happen again. You might see a first-teamer loaned out like Gall- like John Gallagher to Aberdeen, but I don't think you're going to see anyone loaned out to any other clubs unless Atlanta United just has so much talent that it can't fit them all in to USL to its next pro team. And there you go. The most interesting interesting thing about all this to me is I did ask the club, is, the, is it still going to be named Atlanta United 2? Is it still going to play at Kennesaw State when it joins this league in 2023? The league itself starts in 2022. Atlanta United joins in 2023. And they said everything is still being discussed right now. So you could see a name change, possibly a logo change. Who knows? Um, but it's going to be interesting to watch as Major League Soccer tries to take another step towards strengthening the quality of its product through a very curious mechanism, I would say. All right. Going on to the next question from Adam. Why isn't more being made about the global franchising model employed by the Red Bull organization and City Football Group? This has the potential to give certain teams advantages not available to everyone and takes away from the local aspect of team sports, as if you're being asked to support a global corporation more than a home team. All right. So for those new to soccer or Major League Soccer, Red Bull, uh, the energy drink, the one that has the cartoonish commercials, the sketch commercials, uh, owns many, many teams around the world. Uh, Red Bull Leipzig, Red Bull Salzburg, New York Red Bulls. They own a team in Brazil. I think they now own a team in Australia. I think they own a team in Africa. Uh, let me go through. Uh, we have Red Bulls Brazil, Red Bull Bragantino, FC Liferling, Red Bull Ghana. They own a lot of teams. Um, and the thought is there are models that give them advantages in terms of scouting, uh, human resources, all that kind of thing. I've got no problem with it. Uh, if a corporation has enough money that they want to do that, then 
have at it. Atlanta United has kind of done that with Aberdeen, its partnership. It owns 10% or Arthur and Blake Sports Entertainment own 10% of that team. There are advantages with scouting. There are advantages with with uh, construction, with facilities, uh, nutrition, scout, uh, uh, data analysis, all that. Uh, it's really up to the teams to take advantage as far as they can with the resources they have. And, and I've got no problem with that. Um, next question do you think we'll ever see MLS Cup Finals at neutral sites again someday? No, I do not. Um, I don't know if you saw the TV ratings from Major League Soccer this year. Uh, they're better than they've ever been, but they're still not great at all compared to some of the other professional sports leagues. If you put MLS Cup at a neutral site, uh, that is a gigantic hindrance uh, to having uh, a full stadium, in my opinion, right now. Um, when you put it at a host site, 50%, at least 50%, typically 90%, is going to be filled with supporters of the home team or corporate sponsors of the home team, corporate sponsors of Major League Soccer, et cetera. And it gives it an atmosphere at a neutral site. It's just not going to have. So no, I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe in 20 years, if Major League Soccer continues to grow, you'll have cities bidding on it and wanting it. And then Major League Soccer will consider it. But right now, not going to happen. Coffee sip. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. We got a lot of good content coming up about the Georgia Bulldogs and their bowl game. The Braves offseason, the Hawks are hot again. Uh, Georgia Tech basketball is doing okay. Georgia basketball is doing okay. Georgia State basketball is picked to win the Sun Belt. They're going to a bowl game. Unfortunately, they're having to play on Christmas. Um, all that content in the paper, the great Steve Hummer. Uh, some of his final stories will be coming out soon. He's one of the best sports writers in the business. You should try to read as much of his copy as you can. Um, back to your questions. From Nick, my thought of today is about how the league and the playoffs as a whole. MLS strives to have parity and competitive balance, yet since 2015, only six teams have made an MLS Cup final. That is true. Uh, and then he names them, Seattle and Portland out west. We've been in the last six, I think. Uh, Columbus, Toronto, Atlanta, plus the winner of today's Eastern Conference final from the East. So that's NYCFC, so that's seven teams. Um, how does this happen in a league of parity? Well, it happens because some of these teams are simply better than others when it comes to scouting, signing, implementing their tactics. It's really that simple. Um, <clears throat> these teams have come up with a model of how they want to play. They have scouted and signed the players that enable them to play that way, and they've executed their tactics. It's It sounds simple, but that's really what it is. It's you know the New England Patriots. Why are they so good year after year? Because Bill Belichick looks at what he has, he figures out what the strength of the team is, and he plays to that strength. He doesn't try to fix square pegs and round holes. It's the same for these teams. They know what they've wanted to do, and they've been able to execute it, whereas other teams uh, have simply tread water. Nashville is an example. It knows what it wants to do, and it executes it. Orlando has become that kind of a team. Where Then you have the Miamis and the Cincinnati's and the Houston's and the Dallas's and the LA Galaxies. Teams that have just kind of continued to to cycle recently, uh, LA Galaxy were once one of the powers in the team, and haven't come up with a, a definitive business and playing model. And that's been a problem for them, and that's why they haven't been in the MLS Cup in forever. Uh, do you see any changes to the playoff structure? Yes, because MLS changes it every dadgum year, but hopefully it's going to reach a point of uh, normalcy and that's probably not until they figure out how many teams they want. And that's a question for later in the podcast that I'll get into. Thank you, Nick, friend of the podcast. From Charles, 
<laughs> and this is this is fantastic to think about. Is it possible that Miguel Almiron could return to MLS or even Atlanta United? His tenure at Newcastle has been challenging, mostly due to circumstances beyond his control, and the team is in serious danger of relegation. After getting a taste of the Premier League, could this be an opportunity for him to come back to where he had the most success? You know, it's a really fun to think about, Charles, but I got to give that one about a negative 1% chance of happening. Um, Almiron is still talented. He's still physically gifted. Newcastle is a business. They're not just going to give him away to Atlanta United for pennies. They're going to be able to sell him, and they'll be able to sell him for good money to someone. I think he'd be fantastic at, at Atletico Madrid, for example. Uh I don't know if he's a Champions League player, but I think he could supplement a Champions League team um, with time off the bench, league games, things like that. Newcastle is not going to give him away, even though they're now owned by trillionaires. Uh, the next manager, Eddie Howe, will figure out what he's got. They're going down to the championship next year. I, I don't see how they're not going to be relegated. Um, so you might see him moving in the January windows. It's going to be interesting. I would love to see Almiron back with Atlanta United. He's a fantastic talent to watch. His speed is is not matched by many around the world, but no, I don't see him coming back to Atlanta United. And before I take his second question, coffee set. Has Atlanta United, in parenthetical, or any team, ever frozen you out of access for anything you've asked, said, or wrote? No, that would be cutting off their nose to spite their face. No team has ever done that. I, I try to be fair. I try to be balanced. A lot of times y'all accuse me of being very negative and I'll just point out, well, what do you see right now that's positive? It's my job to point out the good and the bad. And sometimes there's a lot more bad than good. And sometimes there's a lot more good than bad. And so the coverage should reflect that. Uh, sometimes when I look for something that is bad when things are good, I guess, because it might be a weakness that the team has had trouble with or something that they could work on. And so I'm writing it to give you an idea of what to expect. Um, the same is true if something's bad, I'll try to find something good. Uh, I get tired of writing good stuff all the time, and I, sometimes I get tired of writing bad stuff all the time. So you got to look for different angles, things to write about, things to give you all information that you may not have thought about, may not have considered, and that uh, add to the value of your subscription to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So... No, no one's ever frozen me out. Um, I think that I have a very good working relationship with everyone at Atlanta United, a very professional relationship. Um, I'm sure I have written things that they have disagreed with. I'm sure I've written things that they've thought uh, are flat out wrong. Um, but I try to back them up with facts. If it's my opinion, I try to back it up with why I think those things. Um, and you know, if we have disagreed, we've talked it out, and it's usually been good. Um, so there you go. But that's a good question, Charles. I, I appreciate you asking that so I could kind of pull back the curtain as always. And he says, thanks as always for your excellent work. Well, thank you for your question, Charles. Now to Dion. He says, he's heard that George Bellow is being looked at from clubs. Yes, he has. I've reported that a couple of times now. Um, but he's much more interested in Miles Robinson. Are there European clubs looking at him? If not, then why? Now, this is a really interesting one because – I spoke with Darren Eels in uh, October or November, and he had said that the club had received no uh, interest in Miles Robinson. Atlanta United center back finished third in Defender of the Year voting this season. I think he's easily the Defender of the Year in Major League Soccer just from an eye test. Uh, the stats are also good. 
And then Carlos Bocanegra, uh, last week or two weeks ago, also said they'd received no offers from Miles Robinson. And then Roger Gonzalez tweeted uh, two days ago, there is interest from German club, from German clubs in the Bundesliga, clubs in England's Premier League. So then I followed up with some reporting. Yes, there is interest in Miles from clubs all over Europe. So I don't know why Eels and Bocanegra said that. I got to believe that the interest didn't suddenly spring out of nowhere. Robinson had a fantastic year for Atlanta United, fantastic year for the U.S. men's national team. The only game in which Robinson didn't start is the only game the U.S. lost last year, I believe the stat is. He scored two goals for the U.S. men's national team. He scored a goal for Atlanta United, a very big goal for Atlanta United in the season finale against Cincinnati. Physically, he's as gifted as any defender, I I would say, in the world. Um, He's very, very fast. He's very, very tall. He's very, very aggressive. Michael Parkhurst would tell a story about their very first training camp when Robinson was a rookie just drafted out of Syracuse. They were up in Swanee at the Falcons because the facility had not been constructed yet. And they were doing a drill in which basically uh, a guy stayed as a defender until someone was able to beat him. And Parker said they must have been out there for 15 minutes until finally somebody beat Robinson uh, one-on-one. They just couldn't do it. And that was really before Robinson had any idea what he was doing with positioning and, and all that. Yeah, I agree with you. He's the best defender in Major League Soccer. So why wouldn't European clubs be looking at him? Uh, obviously, as an Atlanta United fan, I want him to play for us. But if it, if it would help his career somewhere else, I want him to do that. So I only have a theory. And it doesn't paint Atlanta United in the best light. And it's only a theory because they've said they've received no interest. It could be a difference in the de- their definition of interest in mine. Next year is a World Cup year in Qatar. 2022. Miles Robinson, unless he suffers an injury, uh, God forbid, between now and then, will is is going to start for the U.S. men's national team. So Atlanta United could be saying they receive no interest now because they know he's going to start for the U.S. in the World Cup. He's likely going to play very well, and his interest is going to the interest in him and his value is going to skyrocket. Um, so that may be why they're kind of saying, nope, no interest right now because they know where they're predicting what's going to happen next year. Um, but anyway, we'll see. They they are running a business, so they have strategies they must use to increase the value of their business. I don't blame them for that. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that they're lying to me. I don't want to say that that's going on either. I think we're just kind of doing some philosophical hair splitting, so to speak. All right, we've got two from friend of the podcast, Dr. Follis. The first is about Franco Escobar, who was with the team – from 2018 to uh, 2020, he's such a dominant, exciting player. Why wouldn't we bring him back? Is he a locker room cancer? So this question is related to the fact that Franco Escobar was on loan to Newell's Old Boys in Argentina this season. Strangely on loan. I think some of it might have had to do with he just missed his family uh, because of COVID and wanted to get home and spend some time with them. I can't blame him for that. Some of it might be because of his salary. Um, He had a guaranteed salary this season, according to the Major League Soccer uh, Players Association database, of $450,000. Some of it might be because he was a little bit of a dangerous player uh, in 2020. I think he led the league in yellow cards, was very close to the lead in yellow cards. Just kind of a live wire on the field. I don't think that Bocanegra wants leadership. I don't think he wants someone that you never know. Is he going to be available for this game? Is he going to be available for the next game because of yellow card accumulation? 
Um, so no, I don't think he's a locker room cancer. I think it's just a matter of he needs to mature a little bit, he needs to get control of his temper, and and he'll be back. Now, Atlanta United exercised that option. Carlos Bocanegra said last week that there is a, that the club has received interest in Escobar. So I don't think you're going to see him um, unprotected in the expansion draft. I think they are going to protect him because if you lose a player in the expansion draft, which is next week for Charlotte, you only get $50,000 in allocation money. Franco Escobar is worth a lot more than $50,000 in allocation money. So I think he will be protected. Um, and I think some of y'all are, uh, I, I'm going to mispronounce this word, mythologizing Escobar a little bit. Was he a, a good player for Atlanta United? Yes. Was he a great player? I don't think he was a great player. Uh, I think he had a lot of issues with his temper. He did well in the playoffs. The regular season, I think he was okay. Um, I mean, Brooks Lennon uh, had better offensive stats than Escobar, has had better stats than uh, Escobar. Um, Is he a better defender? No, but I think he's uh, comparable enough to make it work. So I don't think he's coming back. And then the second one is the age-old question, what should the team do with Jurgen Dom? Jurgen Dom might be one of the nicest guys I have ever met. He's friendly. He always says hello. He's always got a smile. Um, but the man is paid almost $1.6 million, and he's got one goal and four assists and more than 30 appearances across two years for Atlanta United. That just does not cut it in a salary cap league. Um I asked Carlos Bocanegra if the team was considering buying out Jurgen Dom. You can do that once per year within Major League Soccer. He almost laughed at the question, said he thinks that Jurgen is a valuable player, thinks that if the team changes its formation, he's going to be much more valuable. Um, Jurgen didn't really have a, a position, so to speak, with the team plays three center backs because he's not really a wing back, and that's the only spot that he could play uh, that wasn't occupied by a designated player, Luis Araujo, Barco, or Moreno. If they go to four in the back, it creates another midfield slot, but it's likely going to be in central midfield, so I don't see how Jurgen Dom's going to get on the field next year. If I were Atlanta United, I would beg someone to take him. I would send him out on loan to Mexico, and hopefully that club would take part of his salary, or I would do the buyout. That's really the only options I think you have with Jurgen. Coffee sip. Kathleen, it's nice to have a female voice in the podcast. And this is her third time asking, I think, so she is now a friend of the podcast. What are your thoughts on MLS expansion? I believe they've added five teams in the last five years, including Atlanta, and more to come. The new teams seem to be doing well in terms of supporters and attendance, but is the league growing too quickly? Uh, is the league growing too quickly is a fantastic question. Um, Charlotte is coming online next year. St. Louis is coming online the year after that. Las Vegas is likely coming on in 2024. They haven't officially said Las Vegas is, come, is the front runner, but Don Garber or I'm sorry, Don Garber said that Las Vegas is the front runner, but not has not quite done the the clinched it yet. And the club is still having conversations with Phoenix, which does not have a facility, and San Diego. Garber said that they don't want to go past the 30 teams, but if there are ownership groups willing to spend the franchise fees, which are now into the hundreds of millions of dollars, I don't see how Major League Soccer can say no. Really, it, a lot of it, in my opinion, it comes down to the television rights package that the club is currently negotiating and how much money that the league is going to get from that and how much money trickles down to the teams and how much money they can then increase the salary cap and the budgets in order to 
be competitive with the other leagues in the world in terms of player recruitment. If you have too many teams and not enough money, then you're going to have a bad product. It's that simple. You can continue to develop players like Atlanta United has done with George Bello, like Philadelphia has done with the Aronsons, and Dallas has done with its mirrored players. But the probability of being able to develop enough players each year to put out a, a solid product is low. I mean, look at Atlanta United's homegrown signings. There are one so far, George Bello, that you would say is an impact player. The jury's still out on Jackson Conway. The jury's still out on, on Tyler Wolf. The jury's still out on Machop Chall. You've got several who are no longer with the team. Andrew Carlton, Chris Goslin, Lagos Kunga, Patrick Nkonkwo. Um, that's, you know, that's one out of, uh, I think, 11 or something that the team has now. Uh, the jury's still out on Bryce Washington, Efren Morales. Uh, I got to think that uh, there's going to be a couple more coming this season. So you've got to have enough money to compete with, to, to get players out of the leagues that can't pay as well. Typically, those are in some of the teams in South America, some in Central America, um, maybe some in Africa, to come to Major League Soccer. So then you're, you're competing against Europe, and Europe has the deeper pockets, but you still got enough money to make it worth the player's interest. And MLS is doing a good job of that. They're doing a good job of that with their roster mechanisms. The Under-22 initiative, for example, which helped Atlanta United sign Santiago Sosa and Franco Abara and Eric Lopez at a reduced salary cap charge. But eventually that, that salary cap either has to be eliminated or it has to be increased to the point that you can be competitive against the non-championship not non-Champions uh, League-level clubs in Europe uh, for talent and for depth against the big spinners of Mexico for, t- for talent and depth. That's the bar that MLS has got to reach without it spanning too much too soon, if that makes sense. Okay, I think this is our last question. It's a long one from David, so I'm going to take one big coffee sip. I encourage you all to do the same. All right, big fan of the podcast, David says. Well, thank you. I'm always excited to listen, even after a loss, which really says something. I appreciate that, David, because uh, to be honest with you, the paid the um, uh, downloads after a loss usually aren't as good as they are after a win, and that's okay. I understand emotions and things like that. Keep up the great work with an exclamation point. Thanks, David. It seems Atlanta United has been unable to get quality delivery to the number nine position with any consistency in recent seasons, regardless of who is in the position with the possible exception of the Valentino era. We have one of the best strikers in the history of Major League Soccer, yet we scarcely get him the ball. Marcelino Moreno and Ezequiel Marco are more interested in their own highlight reels and seem to only pass to Joseph when they run out of self-serving options. I'm concerned Araujo could have the same mentality. Lennon is at Brooks Lennon as a team player, but doesn't have the pinpoint accuracy needed. We have loads of talent, but key players perform like prima donnas. It's frustrating to watch. A great dribble that doesn't result in goal or quality chance created feels empty. So before I get to the second part of this, I want to cover that. I agree with you, David. I think that Barco and Moreno too often put their head down and just dribble. And I don't think that's what Gonzalo Pineda wants. I think that's why Barco will be sold if there's a reasonable offer for him in the offseason. I'm going to be really, really shocked if Marcelino Moreno finishes training camp with Atlanta United. I think he'll be traded or sold uh, for the same reason. 
the more I think about it, the more convinced I've become. I've lost track of how many times last year after a, a draw or a loss or even after a win, uh, a, a poor for a poor half in a win, in which Pineda or Brad Guzan or somebody would come into the lock, come into the uh, interview room, and talk about we need to move the ball faster, we need to move it side to side faster, we got to move the ball faster, and they're not naming names. But you look at the two guys who are on the ball the most, and that's Barco and that's Moreno, and they just don't do that. They are not pass and move players. They are dribble players. And any person who's ever played soccer or team sports can tell you the ball moves faster when it's not unencumbered by a foot or a hand. It's when it's being passed or kicked or thrown or whatever. And they just don't do that. I did a whole blog about what I call the Barco bounce about when he starts playing for a new coach. It looks like, I think statistically he's doing the things that coach wants and it's resulting in goals and assists. Look at him coming back from the Olympics under Valentino and then under Pineda, lots of goals, lots of assists. And then the more that Barco plays for that coach, the more Barco starts to revert to his own instincts, which is put your head down and dribble. If you can look at my name, Doug Robertson, Ezekiel Barco, Barco bounce, in your Googles, and you could find that, and I would encourage you to read it because there's statistical evidence there. And so, yes, that does affect Joseph Martinez. I don't think you could say Luis Araujo is that kind of player yet. I don't think we have enough of a sample size. Um, the difference between, in my opinion, Araujo and Barco and Moreno is Araujo can consistently beat guys off the dribble and get into good positions. Moreno had the fourth most dribbles attempted in Major League Soccer last season. And I think it was like 57th in successful dribbles. That's not good. That's just not good at all. So we're going to see what happens. Can they be coached up? Possibly, but I think we've seen enough of Barco to know what's going to happen. Moreno, you look at his stats in his career, and I'm going to look them up here real quick. But to highlight, it's basically the man does not have a lot of assists. Um, and that is because... Either he's playing with with not good strikers. You could say that last year because he didn't have Joseph. You couldn't say that this year because they had Joseph. But in his career at both uh, Lanus and Atlanta United, he has 17 goals and 20 assists and 149 appearances. He had... 13 assists and 106 appearances with Lanus, 7 and 43. So that's 1 and 6 with Atlanta United, uh, almost 1 and 7 with Lanus. That is not good for a playmaker. That is not good at all for a playmaker. For You want the ratio, in my opinion, to be you add up one goal and one assist. You want, you know, one, one of those at least every two games, two, four, four, eight, something like that. That's a good ratio for a playmaker. Moreno doesn't have that. That's another reason why I'm going to be curious to see what happens with him in the offseason. Uh, now, years ago, Julian Gressel, Miggy Almiron, and others would send pinpoint passes to Joseph's feet or head, and he would bury them at full stride. It was awesome to watch and resulted in a lot of points. Yes. Now, to be fair to Brooks Lennon, you said he, he doesn't have that pinpoint accuracy. He's also playing with a different Joseph. This is not the same Joseph that Gressel and Amaron were playing to. This is a guy who's probably 65 to 70% of what he was 
in 17, 18, and 19. I think he's going to be much better this season. Uh, full offseason, he's going to get that leg stronger, that knee stronger, get more confidence. And then we'll see what Brooks Lennon can do, assuming he starts at right wing back. Does Do we need to cut Barco and Moreno? No, you don't need to cut Barco and Moreno. You need to sell them and get some resources back and replace them with players with the right mentality. Would that help set the right tone? I think it would. And then lastly, and I need to just try to just stamp this down because I frankly get tired of seeing it on Twitter. I'd love to see them bring back Julian Gressel. He's continued to rack up assists for D.C. United this year. Julian Gressel is not coming back to Atlanta United. Hector Vialba is not coming back to Atlanta United. They were traded or sold for reasons. They're not going to come back. Julian Gressel's salary, I think, is not what Atlanta United wants to pay at that position. Brooks Lennon was top 10 in chances created this season. Uh, I think Julian Gressel was among top 10. The difference is the strikers they have playing for them. Julian Gressel had an inform Ola Kamara putting in the goals for him. Joseph Martinez wasn't the same player. That's why Brooks Lennon didn't have more assists. Um so anyway, I know that y'all love to think about Gressel coming back, but it's just not going to happen. Um, and then he ends it with, thanks for producing such fun and informative content for the fans. All right, I am going to go to email and make sure that we don't have any other final questions. We don't. Um, all right. So I just want to uh, recap what we've got coming up next week in terms of MLS key offseason dates. Uh, I'm supposed to be on vacation next week, but for reasons that I don't want to go into that may have fallen through, in which case I will be uh, here reporting on these things that are going to happen. So December 12th, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the half-day trade window opens. So you might see Atlanta out and make a move here. Remember, this is when they picked up Darlington Nagby uh, before the 2018 season. And then it closes. MLS is going to make complete list of free agents available on Monday, December 13th, as well as those who are eligible for end-of-year waivers and the reentry process. I believe that is also the day that it, they put out which players have been protected by teams for the expansion draft, which is December 14th. That is when Charlotte will pick five players uh, from a very large pool. Once a team loses a player, it can pull back its remaining four, so it can only lose one. Uh, you'll see a blog posting from me on, I think, Monday um, predicting who I think Atlanta United will not protect. So please look for that. Uh, the expansion draft is the 14th, as I said. December 15th is end of year waivers. I don't think you're going to see too much of that. Free agency opens at 1 p.m. I think Atlanta United is going to be active. They've said they want to acquire a couple of veterans, uh, MLS veterans who know the league situations, et cetera. I think you'll see them sign a couple of guys here. Do I know who yet? No. Um, I might do a blog predicting that. Um, so there you go. And there's a couple other things, but it's reentry stuff, which frankly is boring and I don't want to go into because I couldn't even begin to explain it. So this might be the final podcast of the calendar year. Uh, if we get some big news next week, I will do another one. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now please consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Please give all those other content providers for the team and the league follows, listens. That's uh, soccer down here. That's Dirty South Soccer. That's Siempre United. That's the guys at Major League Soccer. It's the guys who cover teams for other newspapers, guys like Drake and, and Jonathan and Kevin. And, and, you know, it goes on and on. But 
follow him on Twitter. The league is about more than Atlanta United. You'll do yourself a favor by learning what's going on with the other teams. You'll get some good ideas about things Atlanta United might want to do. All right, wrapping up this Southern Fried Soccer podcast. I hope you all have a great holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Um, happy Kwanzaa. And we will talk to you all later. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, The Monica Pearson Show. When you look at what you've become, what has it cost you? Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most powerful influencers, as you've never heard them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.